Friends, good morning. Good morning, and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Forum Church. My name is Matthew, a senior pastor here on behalf of all of us. Glad that you could be with us today uh, as we gather for church this morning. Welcome to those of you as well who are joining us online and those of you uh, just walking in uh, to join us this morning. When we worship, we do so using words printed in a liturgy, which hopefully you received on your way in, and also by following words on the screens around you and on your screen at home. That gives us the things that we sing and say together so that you can follow along. Um, and if uh, you are just joining us um, online or if you're new this morning, uh, you might not know that we've had sad news in the life of our congregation this week. And so, so some of us uh, who come this morning come bringing sad news about a, the loss of, of someone very dear uh, in the life of our congregation and in our community. But it could be as well that uh, even if this is your first time or if you haven't been in a while, that you bring with you sad news as well. There is plenty of that going around right now. So when we gather for church, um, it can feel as though that's something that we bring with us that maybe we have to check at the door. Right? But the reminder this morning is that uh, it's not that we come to God Right, and that we have to find the right place to get to him, but always that it is God who comes and finds us. Right? And in strange ways, God meets us in the most unlikely circumstances, maybe even in a heavy or sad week like the one that you've just been through today. And so, friends, as we gather, we do so in that good news, right? that God is here with us, and he has come to bring light to us in the ways that we need it. As we get started this morning, I want to highlight for you a couple of announcements about important things happening and coming up in the life of our congregation. One is that uh, after a couple of years of a break, we're going to relaunch Vacation Bible School uh, this summer. We're doing it. It's coming back. We are excited uh, to do that uh, starting July 18th. But in order for us to, to do that and be able to host it on behalf of uh, kids and families in Northbridge, we need your help. And so uh, Kate Martinka is going to be our fearless leader, uh, helping to coordinate all of that effort, but she can't do it alone. And so she's looking for volunteers, uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, and adults. If you would like to participate and to be involved, there's plenty of room for help. And uh, Kate would like to know by March 7th if you can help and in what capacity. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to her or to the church office to find out more. Uh, the other thing that I want to highlight that you've seen up here is that uh, this week we begin uh, Lent, and we do that with Ash Wednesday, and we're going to do that with a service at 7 p.m. here at church on Wednesday night. We'll be doing that with uh, Fairlawn as well, so please come and join us as we mark that season together. Uh, the final note is that I, I mentioned uh, Helen, who, who passed away this, this past week, and uh, if you haven't gotten the word, wanted to let you know that there will be a chance to gather uh, for calling hours from 9 to 11 here at church tomorrow and that we'll have a chance to uh, honor her life, give thanks to God for her life, and mourn as those with hope tomorrow at 11 a.m. here at church. So please do join us for that if you can. All right, my friends, that being said, would you please rise in body or in spirit, and let's begin our worship together. Worship. Let us worship God, our light and our salvation. We desire to live in God's house and to seek God in his holy temple. Let us stand in amazement and worship God with gladness. Singing how marvelous, how 
silent confession. Holy God, you revealed to the disciples the everlasting glory of Jesus Christ. Grant us who have not seen and yet believe the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we may boldly live the gospel and shine with your transforming glory as people changed and changing through the redeeming presence of our Savior. Amen.
Take a moment just to extend to our, our neighbors. Can I have all the kids come up for Kids Street dismissal, please? People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us the wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Escapee. Friends, good morning again. I have the privilege and the joy to lead us in prayer this morning. 
which is one of the things we do when we get together uh, as the people of God, bringing with us the things that we have seen and heard and that we carry with us, bearing them with each other and lifting them up to God. Uh, and this week, uh, we've seen heavy news, uh, both in our congregation and in the world. And it may leave you feeling as though thoughts and prayers is just a little bit thin to know what to say in response. But this morning, we are not in, just in the company of each other, but of brothers and sisters who know the situation in Ukraine and have been offering prayers. And so uh, a colleague of ours and a, and a colleague of mine who I know, uh, George Deviced, who has been a missionary uh, with his family for the last 25 years in Ukraine, uh, wrote a prayer addressing uh, the war happening right now. And so I'm going to use some of those words in our prayer this morning. I'm also going to use um, a psalm, Psalm 31, which um, has surfaced in some of the reflections happening in the Christian and the Jewish community. Um, and there were some opportunities this week for religious leaders to to focus on Psalm 31 and to use that to shape our own prayers. And so I'll be reflecting on Psalm 31. If you would like to look at that psalm in your Bible or on your phone as I'm reading it, um, you're welcome to do so at home or here in the room. Let's pray together. Father in heaven and King of all nations, we come to you this morning worried and weighed down by weeks of heavy news. We carry the grief and sadness for suffering in the world of our church and family community, and this morning we add to it the pain of the world. Today we come to you in the company of our Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, and Evangelical brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are under attack, fearing for their lives and displaced from their homes. And we gather here this morning in this stable stone building, we gather amidst the joy of songs of praise and the joy of seeing friends and family. And we gather as those who have taken refuge in you, who have placed our lives in your hands. And we plead now that you would hold the lives of all those in Ukraine. We commit them and their spirits to your care. We commit to you those consumed by anguish, those surrounded by enemies, those who feel like broken pottery, those who hear and see terror on every side, and who live in a city under siege. Lord, empower them by your Spirit that they might be able to declare, yet but I trust in you, Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. In particular, we pray for deliverance for ministry partners in Ukraine and Russia and Eastern Europe who work with mission agencies connected to our congregation. We pray for Steve and Chris Van Zanen in Lithuania as they care for uh, university students, students, many of whom are from Ukraine. We pray for Lika, who is in Kiev. We pray for Sergei Sosigdkin, who, um, who is stateside but working for Reframe Media in Russia. We pray for George and Sarah and their family. Lord, we pray that you would grant wisdom to world leaders to effectively stop this evil, that you would allow for the truth to be known, for lies to be shown for what they are, and for evildoers to be thwarted. Lord, we pray for those who have lost loved ones, homes, and livelihoods, comfort and provide for the needs of those who have been displaced. Lord, we ask for mercy and we seek justice. We pray that you would be at work in both. We pray for the day when all wars will cease and when your peaceful reign will come fully. But in the meantime, we pray that you would use us to facilitate the coming of your kingdom here and now. Help us to take action to bring peace, to care for victims of war and to work for justice. Help us to live according to the principles of your kingdom today and to remain faithful until your kingdom comes at your return. Grant courage to your church in Russia, in Ukraine, and here to speak truth to power and to proclaim the truths of your kingdom, as well as the day of grace that still remains for those who repent. Lord, we pray for Vladimir Putin. We pray that you would change his heart 
and that you would work your miracle of salvation in his life. If he continues in his wicked ways, we pray also that you would restrain his evil and have mercy on those who suffer because of it. We pray too for those whose eyes are weak with sorrow, who are in distress that comes from the loss of a loved one or a community. We lift them up to you as well this morning, O God. Lord, please see their affliction. Please see Helen's family, in particular Will and their children and grandchildren. Lord, we pray for those too who are preparing for surgery or recovering from it, for Leanne, for Carol, for Donna, for Brian, for those who are sick and trying to get better. Lord, we ask that you would be near to each and every one of these people in their healing and that you would please in your time set them once more on their feet in a good and spacious place. Lord, our hearts are weary and heavy, and so make us stout-hearted that we might be those who hope in you until your kingdom comes in glory. In all these things, we trust you because you are our loving Father. We ask that you would keep us faithful by the power of your Spirit, that you would be with your church in Ukraine and here at home, that in times of war or conflict or peace, that it would faithfully follow you and represent you before the nations. Heal the wounds, we pray, both physical and the wounds of the heart. Reconcile the nations with you and with each other by the power of the cross of our reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We read this morning John 9, 1 through 15. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, how then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and, and then I could see. Well, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and, and now I see. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, friends? Holy God, you revealed to the disciples the everlasting glory of Jesus. Grant us, who have not seen and yet believe, the gift of your Holy Spirit now as we read this story, that we might see the good news of your gospel, that we might believe it, and that we might ourselves shine with your transforming glory as people changed and changing through the presence of our Savior who is with us now. Amen. There are times when a passage in the Bible seems very far away from us. Like looking at Paul's advice about what to do about meat offered to idols in Corinthians. What could that possibly mean for us? But then there are other times when it doesn't seem far away at all. This week we have seen and we have heard heartbreaking news in the world Children born in subways, Ukrainian men sending their families away as they report for duty, trains turned into refugee transports into Poland, a cyclone blasts an already famine-starved island of Madagascar, and closer to home we bury the news of heartbreaking loss here too. 
As we walk through this world, we see things that break our heart. And that puts us in good company with the disciples in John chapter 9 today. For when they see the heartbreaking story of a man born with congenital blindness, a man who has not seen anything for his entire life, they instinctively ask a question that is maybe on our lips too. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? Now, it's true that we might not recognize the question in quite those words. It sounds a little heartless like that. Maybe we could rephrase it to something a little more familiar. Rabbi, what caused this? Where did the tragedy of this man being born without sight come from? Why did this happen? The great preacher and teacher of preachers, Fred Craddock, he used to say to his students that the world of the Bible is never that far away. It's not that far away. And that's because for all the ways that life has changed since the disciples first walked with Jesus, the questions that we ask about life is not, because the things that we see have not. All these many thousands of years later, we still find ourselves looking at heartbreaking things and we still wonder, Rabbi, Why did this happen? Biblically speaking, it's an important question. And biblically speaking, the answer is kind of obvious. All suffering has to do with sin, right? All of the heartbreaking stuff that happens in this world is somehow connected to sin. When we want to know what caused a war or blindness or blame or tragedy, just go to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit of the tree. They did the one thing the Lord God told them not to do. And the first thing that happens is they try to cover it up. And then they hide. And when they can't hide, they blame shift. He blames her. She blames the serpent. And when they can't hide or blame their way out of it, they get exiled. And not long after that, the exile turns to jealousy and fearfulness. And Cain kills his brother. And on it goes. Sin has now infected the whole world. But the disciples, they don't ask, Rabbi, did sin cause this? They ask, Rabbi, whose sin? We know that this tragedy has to do with a polluted world, but we would like to locate the problem a little more specifically. Did he do something wrong or was it his parents who did something wrong? I mean, did this... Did this blind man somehow sin in the womb? Well, if Jacob and Esau can wrestle for first place in utero, if there can be human pride even there, well, then could it be that this man sinned before he was born? Well, maybe, maybe it was the result of systemic family sinfulness. I mean, parental sin and its consequences for children, that comes up often in the Scriptures, doesn't it? I mean, the Lord says that He punishes children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they lament the consequences that future generations will, will bear for the actions of earlier generations. The fathers ate sour grapes, they lament, but it was the children whose teeth were ruined. And we understand how it can be that tragedy can come from things that we didn't fully understand or things that other people may have done to us. So Rabbi, whose sin caused this? Was it the blind man's unknowing sin or or was it something that his parents did? Do you know, it occurs to me that what both of those options have in common is that in either case, the man is bearing consequences for something that he didn't choose. We talk a lot about choosing our own fate as modern people, right? We say we believe that the life that we have is mostly the one that we build on our own terms, But when we look at heartbreaking things, we get this knee-jerk question that surfaces within us. We can't help but ask, well, why did that happen? 
Because we understand that actually there's a lot that can happen in life that we can't control. Everybody asks that question. In fact, a lot of times I don't even think we realize we're doing it. It's knee-jerk almost. It's, it's that instant response that someone may give you if you mention that you've just been diagnosed with cancer. And the first thing that they say without thinking is, do you live near high-voltage power lines? Or it's the colleague who, without even really thinking, takes your news about a recent biopsy and uses it as a jumping-off point to pontificate about the effects of overwork or work stress or poor sleep or something that they heard on NPR recently. Right? And it sounds callous or heartless that we ask about family history or diet and exercise habits, but many times we don't even realize what we're saying in the face of heartbreaking news. Yeah, until we're on the other end of it, right? When it's us with the diagnosis, then, then it, you can see it from a mile away, just how desperately we want to know why. Rabbi, why? What caused this? Because the truth is, if we can help it, we'd really like to avoid it. And so it's one of the most important questions that we ask as people, and everybody asks them, and everybody needs an answer to that question. Where does tragedy come from, and why does it happen? In fact, if you look around, there's all kinds of different answers out there. On December 26, 2004, the largest tsunami ever recorded crashed into Thailand and Sri Lanka and Indonesia, and it took a massive toll. And after the tsunami disasters, uh, the Los Angeles Times ran an article, and it surveyed the religious answers in those parts of the world to the problem of evil. The title of the article was, Deadly Tsunami Resurrects the Old Question of Why. The article features a, a typical Buddhist response. It was karmic law. They said, the whole region had collective bad karma, and that is what invited the calamity. Quote, Buddhist doctrine makes people responsible for their own fate. Right? And there's a Hindu response, which was not that it was this cosmic law of karma, but it was divine judgment. Too many people were doing too many bad things, and, and the divine God or whatever had to, had to check that and bring things back into balance. Or in the Islamic response was to say that instead, this was a test from God to see how the rest of us will respond to the tragedy. But what occurs to me is that all of those things have something in common. It's either their fault or everybody's fault. And the truth is that sometimes even Christians have fallen prey to the same kinds of answers, haven't we? Around the same time, and shortly after a devastating earthquake in Haiti, there was a famous televangelist in the United States who claimed that the Haiti earthquake disaster was the result of voodoo worship. Rabbi, what caused this heartbreaking thing to happen? Right For all the differences in these explanations and all the other ones that are out there, do you know what they have in common? That somehow the people suffering deserved it. And so our questions about what causes heartbreaking things to happen, they somehow, well-meant, always get caught up in a conversation about blame, don't they? Like, like our need to know what caused this somehow always turns toward whose fault is it? And blame doesn't really heal anything or anyone. We all need answers to this question, and some of them are more satisfying than others, right? But did you notice that Jesus doesn't give us one? I find that really interesting. They ask, Rabbi, whose sin caused this heartbreaking blindness? And Jesus, he responds to them, but he doesn't answer the question. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. 
Well, now, Jesus is not saying that sin doesn't exist. Of course it exists, right? What he is saying is that you can't always know the reason why heartbreaking things happen. He is saying that this man's sin and his parents' sin, at this moment, it's irrelevant to try to connect the dots. It's not that he sinned, Jesus said, or his parents, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's hard to see in verse 3, and the translation is difficult, and in the translations that we have in English Bibles, you'll see lots of different ones. But it seems to be that, that God is not saying that he gave this man blindness so that he could create a situation to make himself look good. That's not what Jesus is telling us, right? What Jesus seems to be saying is that this heartbreaking story is not an opportunity to get God's final answer on the problem of evil, This man's heartbreaking story is an opportunity to see how God heals heartbreaking evil. Jesus doesn't give the apologetics for why. He instead demonstrates God's response to it. So Jesus spits on the ground, and he begins to make mud with his saliva, which I imagine took a while. And the disciples are there, and they're watching this. They're watching while Jesus takes dirt and he turns it into mud, working it in his hands and then pressing it into this man's eyes. And then this man is told to go and to wash and that he'll come back seeing and he goes and he washes and he comes back seeing. And John then says, by the way, this this is happening on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day, that day when God told us, not in Genesis 3, but in 1 and 2, that he rested from creating. The Sabbath day when Jesus, the God-man, is here acting to create again, to create eyes, to give sight where it had not been before. On the Sabbath, Jesus uses the hands that made creation to overrule the disaster of this man's blindness by recreating. On the Sabbath, Jesus, who rested once at creation, now uses creation to restore this man, the one whom he himself created. Jesus restores this man so that others might see the glory of God in this man, so that they might see that he is the light of the world too. Because in truth, Jesus is not just opening the blind man's eyes, but ours as well. Friends, Jesus does not give God's answer to the problem of tragedy and suffering because he himself is the answer. Jesus instead displays God's take on suffering with his hands, these hands that made everything in the six days of creation and now on the seventh day are revealed to be something more, to be also the Savior's hands, bringing light to darkness. And what we see is that in our lives too, Jesus doesn't just take eyes in his hands and open them. He takes our suffering into his hands and opens our eyes to our spiritual blindness. Jesus turns us away from looking at this heartbreak to try to find cause and effect. He says it's not about locating the blame. It is instead about looking ahead to the healing work of God. Right, and then in verse 4, he says that this is work that we must be doing. He heals this man, he gives him sight, and then he says we We have got to be doing the works of God who sent me while it's daylight. In other words, Jesus is showing us something new to do in the face of pain and loss and suffering, to see it instead as an opportunity to participate in the healing work of God. Friends, today is Transfiguration Sunday. It's the last Sunday before the start of Lent. 
During Lent, we go down the mountain with Jesus. We intentionally step into tragedy and suffering. But before we do that, Jesus, the light of the world, sheds light that we can't find on our own on the problems of tragedy and suffering and evil. He doesn't show us the way to escape pain and tragedy. He shows us instead how God can be present in it and at work healing it. Friends, life is hard. And it is true that often we are at a loss for how to respond to people who are experiencing that life is hard. It seems like it's too much or it's not enough, like everything we say might be the wrong thing. But friends, the gospel is not that now life is no longer hard. The gospel of Jesus is not that now you can always know what is happening to you and why and how to fix it. The gospel is that in Jesus Christ, life is hard in a community. And the good news is that this community was formed by the death of the Son of God himself. And this community now gains its strength from the fact that Jesus Christ descended to hell, was crucified, was cursed and condemned, and yet rose from it by the power of God. And with all that good news behind us and beneath us and around us, when life is hard, we discover that we don't have to say much at all. In fact, as Christians, we are so enveloped by God's use of suffering for good that sometimes we don't have to say anything. And that means instead that we can do the healing work of listening. Because even our listening is enveloped by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of all comfort, as Paul says. And the strangest twist is that somehow in all of this, When the body of Christ bears each other's burdens, the God who put on flesh and bore our suffering is revealed still to be here bearing them with us. Kate Bowler um, is a writer and she is a professor at Duke Divinity School and she spends most of her life studying the prosperity gospel. The teaching that through great prayer and faith, You can live an abundant life now. Kate Bowler also has incurable cancer. And Kate writes about what it is like to live out life studying this version of Christianity alongside uh, her own ironic inability uh, to cure herself. And in one of her books, she tells this story about a friend who once revealed God in her suffering at a time when everyone was giving her answers for why it was happening. Ray uh, is a friend of hers, and he's a pediatric oncologist. That is to say that every day, Ray talks to children and parents about tumors. He sits down with a mother and a father, and he looks at them, and he says, either there's hope or I'm sorry. Ray knows what it is like to explode the world. And Ray has been there for Kate more than once since her diagnosis. But in this story, Ray is with her now. And they're out on her patio, and he's brought a bottle of wine. And she's asking him about her anguish and about dying, and he's trying to answer her questions. But then he stops and he looks at her. He really looks at her. And he says, Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. She brushes it away. I'm okay, except for about 10 minutes a day. I'm okay. And Professor Bowler knows that anyone else in the world, they would have left it at that. Anyone else might have said, great, I'm so glad to hear it. That's the spirit. But that's not what Ray does. Ray looks at her silently and carefully, and then after a moment, he says two sentences. What does it look like, those 10 minutes? And with those two sentences, Kate is given an opportunity to probe the depths of the anguish, which she is working 23 hours and 50 minutes a day to keep locked up inside of her. And probing it, she reaches into her depths in the company of a friend. She thinks about his question. And finally, she says, it feels like I'm hungry and I'll never be full again. 
And what his healing question opens to us is that Kate Baller isn't looking for better answers to suffering. She is looking finally for the only thing that can fill the hollow that grief makes inside of each one of us. God himself. God himself, who on the cross asks why. Why? And friends, Jesus is not answered. And that is so that we can know that we have been heard when we ask. For friends, this is the paradox at the heart of Christianity. The God who will not answer the question of evil is himself the answer. The God who is beyond us comes here to know what it is like to be us. The creator becomes part of the creation. The holy one takes our suffering upon himself and by his wounds somehow we are healed And we who were once blind to the pain of others and impervious to the ways of God and the world, well, now we see. And seeing, we begin to believe. And believing, we roll up our sleeves and join him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Your church is no stranger to hard days and suffering in the world, and neither are you. In fact, you told us to expect it. And yet, Lord, this is hard for us to believe and to understand. And so this morning, O God, with this question deep within us, wondering why and what causes it and where does it come from, we ask instead you would allow us to, to put this question in your hands, knowing that you with great wisdom and power can sort out all the sad things and work them backwards and make them untrue. And in the meantime, we ask that by your spirit, it would help us to look at tragedy and pain and these questions and instead anticipate that you are in fact at work right now. We pray this in your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, would you stand and let's respond to God together by singing, Be Thou My Vision. Yeah.
Bible speaks to some of the deepest questions that we have, and in the Gospel of John in particular, when Jesus tries to explain who and what he is to us, he explains himself as the most basic things we need to live, water, bread, and also wine. And so uh, we have come to a table that Jesus has prepared for us with bread and with juice, a physical reminder of a spiritual reality that he feeds us with right now. And friends, this is the Lord's table. He has prepared it. And whether you have gathered around this one or around your own at home, he is the one who has brought you here and he has done everything that we need to be able to join in this feast. And so my friends, everything is ready and it is right and fitting that we should pray and give thanks. Would you do that? Let's do that together now. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Please pray with me. Praises belong to you, God of David. For though the days are long, your goodness never fails. You created a world of green pastures and streams of living water where we find all that we need. And from Jesse's house, you picked a shepherd to be your people's king. With rod and staff, you walked your children through the shadow of slavery in the valley of exile and every kind of evil. And when your sheep strayed in sin, you sent your own son to be our shepherd king and to restore our souls to you. He came to lay each one of us across his shoulders and to bring us home to you. He set a table in the face of his enemies and laid down his life that you might take it up again in glory. And now goodness and mercy follow us all the days. And so we give you thanks here in your house, around your table full of goodness and present with your mercy, with all the company of heaven proclaiming together, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Anointing God. Samuel poured oil on the head of David and your spirit came mightily upon him. Send your Holy Spirit upon your church now and make us faithful disciples anointed by your same spirit. And by that spirit, we ask that you would anoint these gifts of bread and wine, that they may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, at supper with his disciples, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. On the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks to God, he gave it to them saying, this cup. Is the new covenant which is sealed in my blood and poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink this, do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim together the Lord's death until he comes again. And great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Searching God. You alone give your followers eyes of faith. Teach your church to see as you see. And teach us to set our sights on your kingdom. In the face of evil, lift the burden of fear. 
In the shadow of death, give comfort. In the company of enemies, spread your welcome table until the day when every cup runs over and your children look upon the banquet and all are made one around your heavenly feast, the place where faith is at last sight. And do this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the power of your Spirit, with all honor and glory, one God now and forever. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are sorry for their sins and who desire to live in obedience to him are invited to come now with gladness to the table of the Lord. For friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. If you would please take uh, your single serving and we're going to do the, the bread side first. You can go ahead and open that. Brothers and sisters, take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Savior Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. When you're ready, you can go ahead and turn it over. Brothers and sisters, take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Friends, pray with me. Lord Jesus, fed at this table, we ask that you would take this little piece of bread and this little bit of juice and that you would turn it into a big nourishing meal of our faith in you, that we might go out from this place changed and transformed just a little bit more to look like Jesus and looking for Jesus in the world around us. In your name, amen. God speaks and we respond. One of the ways that we do that is by participating in this meal. Another is by singing. And another yet is by offering up some of what God has given us for the work of his church. And so we do that by giving money for our offerings. And you can do that either by dropping checks off in the front during the week or by donating online. Having done that, my friends, would you rise in body or in spirit? The Lord who gathers us here also sends us back out again. Pray with me. O God, before the passion of your one and only Son, you revealed his glory upon the holy mountain. Grant us that we may be strengthened to bear our cross and to be changed into his likeness through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Friends, would you receive God's blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
Heroes 